I want you to be happy, always happy in the Lord. I repeat, what I want is your happiness. These are the uh, lines of our first reading today on the Feast of St. John Bosco, taken from Philippians 4. And they're, they're beautiful lines. They're very uh, poignant lines, especially when we consider that St. Paul wrote this while in prison. He wrote this while in prison. And a Roman prison at the time wasn't exactly the uh, luxurious, um, well, relatively luxurious prisons that we have today. Uh, We're talking dungeons and chains and rats and infected wounds on your wrists and ankles and uh, general neglect and malnutrition and that sort. So so things were not going fairly well for for St. Paul when he wrote this. I want you to be happy, always happy in the Lord. And so it raises this very interesting question for all of us today. What is happiness? Or how what, how does one find happiness? Uh, this pursuit of happiness is what motivates the vast majority of what we do. So how do we attain happiness? Back in the day, the Greeks uh, were very good at, uh, well, the Greek philosophers were very good at, I suppose that at the time they had a, a big enough empire they are wealthy enough to have time to reflect on things i think we only have time to reflect on things when you're not you know starving countries that are, are prone to starvation aren't known for their philosophers uh, you, you can't well, it's very hard to sit and think about life if you're dying uh, so the greeks were doing very well for themselves so they were able to invest in, in invest time in reflecting upon their lives and they, they identified a, a number of maybe fields of thought or, or approaches to, to determining, to, to finding happiness. One of them was, was the, the stoic approach, stoicism, where you become basically indifferent to everything. So if, if you're not really bothered about anything, then nothing really hurts you, then you can be happy because you don't care, <laughs> right? So you just, if you don't care, if you're kind of uh, cold and distant and indifferent to everything and just at peace with yourself and with the universe then you're happy. Though you can't show happiness because that would be weakness. You are indifferent. That wasn't very popular, um, nor would I recommend it. Okay, another extreme, though, dare I say the other extreme, is to find happiness in the fulfillment of pleasure, otherwise known as hedonism. Right, hedonism. So uh, then through your sexuality, through eating and drinking and through basically satisfying whatever pleasure comes your way, that's how we attain happiness, right? Because if I do what I want, if I do, if I fulfill the desires of, well, the base desires of my heart as opposed to the deep desires of my heart, if I fulfill these just passions, if I just live basically as a slave to them, whatever passion I have, fulfill it, that should make me happy, right? But then you look at addicts, you look at those who... Uh, are struggling as regards alcohol, as regards drugs, as regards these days pornography, the internet, those kind of things. Are they happier? Are they happier than those who don't have those addictions? Absolutely not. So being indifferent to the world doesn't really make you happy. It doesn't. But also being kind of swallowed by the passions of the world doesn't make you happy either. So how do we find happiness? How do we find happiness? Don Bosco was born in abject poverty. Relatively speaking, by, by, by our standards today, he was very, they were very, very poor. And growing up, I mean, children had to work. But then again, like, we, like we've said a couple of times recently, hard times bred hard people. So uh, children would often go to work. Children would, would be, uh, the Industrial Revolution was kicking off. So this is the, 
early 19th century. He was born in 1815. So the Industrial Revolution was, had, had come to Italy. They were also suffering from the consequences of the Napoleonic Wars, so there was a lot to rebuild, um, a lot of men had been killed, so uh, women and children had to work, and it was, it was, it was a very, very challenging time. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of hunger, and then a lot of you know, mistreatment of people. You know, when times were hard, when times were poor, children would be sent into grease machines while they were running, and... Uh, people would be beaten for any sort of misdemeanor by their boss, and you know. But you you had to come back to work because if you didn't work, you starved. So there was just it was it was just a hard time, a very very hard time, very cruel time. So John Bosco is, is born into this. Now he's a man of of great faith. He lost his father at a very very young age, so he was brought up basically by his mom, and he had a, a two or three older two older brothers. So. They grew up with deep faith, though. Their, their mother uh, was a woman of profound faith, Mama Margarita. Uh, she, was, she was great. She was a, a, a powerful example to him of perseverance and of faith. And so, at the age of about nine, uh, he had a couple of experiences which, which collided and, and began to, to, to form the heart of this future priest, where he saw the faith of his mom, he saw the faith of, of some of the people of his time, and then he came across a circus. You know, I mean, circuses for us today, I don't know, maybe we're used to like explosions and things on screens and movies, they're all huge. I'm not sure if circuses are as popular today as they were then, but back then, I mean, that was the only time you saw like live action anything. You know, someone blowing fire or swallowing swords or a real elephant, I mean, these were these were big things back in the day. So he saw circus performers and just the, the, the magic tricks that they would do, and he was just fascinated by how gobsmacked the whole crowd would be, like everyone watching every single move of this trapeze artist or, or this magician or just watching the hands and how does he make this card disappear and where did it go and how did the rabbit come out of the hat? That's impossible. Uh, and he was just fascinated by it. So these, these two very almost kind of opposite things actually not so much collide, but mix in his mind. And he says, well, what, if, what if we could use these kind of attractive, fun things to spread the gospel? So at the age of nine, he starts learning certain things, juggling and walking little tight ropes, putting a, a rope between two trees, and then he'd walk along the rope, and all the boys would be gathered around him. And then he'd say, lads, you'd never guess what I heard uh, at the homily this morning. You know, and then he'd recount the homily that he heard at Mass. And then at the end, they'd say a little prayer. And that's how it began. Nine years of age. Nine. Nine. Young fella. Yay high. Probably skinny. Semi-malnourished, I'd say. Right. And, and uh, so this, this desire kept growing. Now, so he, he felt this desire then to, to be a priest. Now, this was very much frowned upon by his older brothers, who apparently, one of them anyway, uh, beat him. Because that's not what we do here. We have to work. You know, we're, 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 we're workers. We have to work to put food on the table. This whole priesty thing doesn't really work. Also, uh, in order to become a priest you had to have an education so you had to obviously be able to read and write you had to obviously be able to read and write in Latin uh, and he didn't have a formal education so that normally required private tuition I mean it wasn't straightforward again very poor times so the schooling system was up in a heap so a priest actually through God's providence <coughs> decided to take him on and tutor him and uh 
he went on to be, to be ordained and was sent then to, to Turin, where he uh, worked for, for many, many years. And he has a fantastic mix of profound spirituality and common sense. Again, try and keep in mind just the, 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 the mentality of the time or the poverty of the time or the hardness of the time. So what he says now might sound completely obvious, but our times, because we're so comfortable, our times have almost been kind of swung the other direction altogether, where uh, I remember watching uh, some different talks on, on YouTube about whenever a conservative, like a Candice Owens or someone comes to a university campus, those who object will say, you know, having her here makes me feel unsafe. And because they feel unsafe, she shouldn't be allowed to come on the university campus. Hang on, she's like five foot nine and 110 pounds or less, whatever, I don't know, whatever that is. She's a light little girl anyway. How does she make you feel unsafe? What is she going to do? What has she ever said that incites hatred? So anyway, but, so we feel unsafe. That's gone too far the other direction. But back, but back then, I mean, your little sensitivities just didn't matter, you know. So people were, were very hard on each other. So uh, what he says now to his boys, because as a priest, he visited prisons and he saw how so many young men ended up in prison. Some for, for serious things, some for just, well, general theft, because if they didn't have it and they were hungry, they'd steal or they'd steal some things to sell in order to have to provide for the family. Not ideal. Maybe it's a bit like Les Mis, you know, may these candlesticks make you an honest man. I don't know. Uh, not justifying stealing, but they were hard times. Okay, so, but he saw how these, these men ended up in prison. And he said, like, this is, this is a tragedy. These men should not be... I mean, they, they, they could be great. They could be great men. They could be great fathers. They, they could be great saints. We need to get, we need to get at their hearts, get in the, introduce them to the Lord at an early age so they don't end up in these horrendous, horrendous prison conditions. And so he started various youth groups, and uh, for, especially for boys, and tried to find places to rehouse boys who had ended up as orphans rather than having them living on the streets and then ending up clashing with the law. So himself and his mom set about uh, finding homes and finding alternative accommodation for up to 800 boys, just finding places they could stay, you know, and, and families that they could be with. Again, the, 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 the social welfare system, adoption, fostering, all this kind of thing hadn't really... There wasn't a system for it. So he did what he could with what he had and, and, and tried to give a new, new opportunity, new life to uh, about 800 boys. He said to them, My children, run, jump and play. Make all the noise you want. But avoid sin like the plague. And surely you will gain heaven. It's something I wish I could say with my heart here in this house. Run, jump, make all the noise you want. I'm more like, would you quieten it down just a bit? But, but you get the point. You know, be young, have fun, but don't sin. You know, and he says, uh, similarly, he says, um, one can have much fun without offending God. You can have great fun without offending God. That's something I, I hope as well that in, in the Catholic sphere these days, young people are discovering that in order to have an active social life and have friends and have boyfriends and girlfriends and so on, relationships, um, you don't have to make a moral compromise. You can actually live a fun, a very fulfilled and fun life with no regrets, without offending God. He 
spoke about uh, what he calls the, the preventative system. So his education, his style of educating is something that was adopted then by the Salesians afterwards, which he founded. Uh, and again, it was, it was a... His system is, is, is clear. Be with the people that you're ministering to. Walk with them, play with them, talk with them, spend time with them, get to know them, love them, but be firm with them. So they need to know right from wrong. Uh, you have to love them all, absolutely, but they have to know you care. They have to know you care. You can't just be locked away in an ivory tower, writing your rules and enforcing them on these kids who don't know you. They won't respect you. They won't change. They have to know you. They have to know you care. So he says, the preventative system consists in making the rules and regulations of an institution known, so make them known, then in being vigilant, so that the pupils may always be under the watchful eyes of the director and the assistants, who, like loving fathers, talk with them, guide them in any difficulty, and give them advice and correction in all matters. He had a profound faith. He said, there are two things that the devil is deadly afraid of, frequent communion and frequent, frequent visits to the Blessed Sacrament. And this was also how he lived, living from the power of the Lord, living from, from the sacraments. He said, when tempted, run immediately to your guardian angel and ask him with all your heart, my guardian angel, help me now. Do not let me offend God. It's a lovely way of phrasing it like, rather than kind of just, just the word sin. It's, I don't, I don't want to offend God. I don't want to offend God because I love him. I love him, so I don't want to offend him rather than I'm, I'm afraid of breaking the rules. Again, that's, it's better than nothing to say, you know, I don't want to, to sin, I don't want to break God's rules, but it's much better to say, I, I love him, and so I don't want to offend him. My guardian angel, help me in this time of, of temptation. Don Bosco saw many miracles in his life. He saw miracles of conversion, miracles of the Lord's providence when he set about building uh, a church. He saw miracles of the Lord acting in people's hearts. An expression I heard recently is that miracles are the daily bread of those who believe. Miracles are the daily bread of those who believe. We believe in the Lord. Without being cocky, we should expect to see miracles. God's at work. So we should expect to see God doing great things. Miracles are the daily bread of believers. So Lord, we ask today that we can always be happy, happy in the Lord, not because we're indifferent to the world, not because we're slaves of our passions, but like, like St. Don Bosco, that we have found you, and you make our lives actually fun, and give us that desire to share the joy and the happiness that we have found with others. And if we do so, then we have discovered a happiness that no one can take from us, a happiness that isn't dependent on wealth or success or people's adulation. The happiness that's rooted in our relationship with God and therefore no one can take it. So we ask you, Lord, to renew our happiness and our confidence in you. May St. Don Bosco pray for each one of us today and may we imitate him in his faith. Amen.